Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Millerman. This is Millerman Talks, episode 13. Today, I'll be talking to you about an essay called Trump and the West, written in 2017 by Ernesto Arujo, now Brazil's Minister of Foreign Affairs. It was recently translated into English by J. Michael Waller from the Center for Security Policy, and it's a fascinating essay that I, I recommend you all read. The basic argument of the essay is this. It's become politically incorrect to argue that the West is under threat. Western civilization can only be mentioned if it's to vilify its past, for example, as racist, colonialist, and so on, um, or to deny its existence, to say there is no such thing as Western civilization. That's a construct that covers over a much more um, differentiated uh, subtext. Um, or to deny its current relevance. The term West is usually taken in the geopolitical sense of European and North American countries that have representative democracies and market economies. But, the author argues, there's more to the West than that. The West is an organic, living, once powerful entity, a set of words and feelings, ideas and beliefs that started 25 or 30 centuries ago. And today, even though it may not be popular to say so, it's showing serious signs of weakness. The problem, the author states, is a disappearance of the will to be who we are, as communities identified with a historic destiny and a living culture. The West that the author is talking about is not like some anti-Western uh, critics might think, McDonald's, uh, Madonna and Marlboro, or consumer capitalist nihilistic culture. Uh, it's not the West of the Cold War, but rather the culture, faith and traditions that include philosophers, statesmen and prophets. Or as it says in the essay, the West is indeed not based on values, nor is it based on tolerance, nor on democracy. In other words, not on the things that we might think characterizes the West today, but on Plato and Aristotle, on Caesar and Alexander, on St. Paul and St. Augustine, on Washington and Jefferson, on battles and miracles, passions and wars, on the cross and the sword. The West is, for the author um, and for Trump as he sees him, a community of nations, the deepest symbolic heritage of the nations comprising it. And it's characterized by a yearning for the God who acts in history, who is at one and the same time transcendent and imminent. Now, this essay argues that Trump, in his pan-nationalism, in his view that the key actors should be um, nations and their civilizations. Uh, the author argues that Trump represents civilizational multipolarity. That means he's not in favor of a unipolar American world. He doesn't want to westernize other civilizations. All he wants is for Western civilization to be left in peace, to restore and rediscover its vitality. The battle against Islam, for example, is not imperialist, but a defensive struggle to preserve the West's spiritual space. 
Now, the essay touches on the question of the relationship between the West and Russia, calling it a complex geocultural issue. The Russian soul is torn between being or not being Western, between whether or not to be part of the same Christendom. Um, and some even see the United States and Russia, the author says, competing to argue which of the two will rescue Europe from its postmodern atheistic captivity. And so naturally, as you may have observed, there is a kinship at times between supporters of Trump and supporters of Putin, not well explained by any thesis of Russian collusion, but rather more geoculturally because of this positioning for who's going to be the defender of the West against its postmodern and liberal democratic capitalist uh, perversion or decline. Now, in this context, the, FA, the essay, in this context, the essay brings up Dugan. And it says that any attempt at taking um, any attempt at taking a careful approach to this question of the relationship between Russia and the West, one that is neither what you'd hear from the left or what you'd hear from the neoconservative right, calls for a study of the books and pronouncements of the Russian writer Alexander Dugin, creator of the Eurasian school. After two decades of harshly criticizing American and European, uh, of harshly criticizing the American and European aim to impose on Russia a liberalism that has been demolished, he, Dugin, now sees great potential for convergence with Trump's America, and even for cooperation against a common enemy, globalism, understood as the anti-national, anti-traditional, liberal standards in society, and against the globalized, borderless marketplace in the economic arena. In other words, Trump's anti-liberal nationalism may find support in Russian anti-liberal, anti-globalism, as analyzed by Dugin, not necessarily as implemented in half measures by Putin. And again, it's important to underscore, for those of you who are watching this, that this thesis does not imply collusion between Russia and Trump supporters or between Dugin and Trump supporters. It, apply, it implies rather a kinship of ideas in its critical stance toward liberal, unipolar globalism. Now, part of the essay, uh, the first part of the essay, a big part of it, analyzes Trump's July 6th, 2017 speech in Poland in defense of the West. Now, it's worth reading. It's worth watching that speech and reading what the essay has to say about it, but I'm going only to focus on uh, one, or two, one or two key points. That speech included mention of Pope John Paul II's first mass when a million enthusiastic people interrupted the sermon, crying out, we want God. Now the author writes, as the American president interprets it, this cry is a coming together of nationalism and faith. Faith as an integral part of national sentiment and vice versa. The people of Poland, Trump said, the people of America, the people of Europe still cry, we want God. Now, in an interesting twist toward the end of the essay, the author writes the following. 
Trump's proclamation in this Poland speech that we want God brings to mind Heidegger famously remarking near the end of his own life, only a God can save us. That us, desperately in need of God, that us whom only a God can save, is nothing but the West. So the argument of this essay, which must be very strange to hear for so many people who watch Trump and listen to what's said and re- and um, said and written about him, is that Trump is the West's Hail Mary pass. Now, as author explains, a Hail Mary pass, as many of you already know, is a play in American football when it seems like all is lost and your best last hope is just for everybody to run downfield and for the quarterback to throw the ball as far as he possibly can, crossing his fingers that somebody catches it. So Trump is the West's Hail Mary pass, the last hope of salvation for the West understood in this particular way. And Trump invokes a God who works through the nation, including and perhaps especially the American nation. Now you see the author hedges here. It doesn't have to be, uh, especially the American nation, but maybe, maybe Trump is a savior of the West um, in a way that other leaders today could not be. Now the essay suggests the possibility rejected so you have to understand you have to understand something here. I've gone through pretty quickly the some of the key ideas in this paper which we're going to cover and summarize here in a minute. But the author refers to poets, philosophers, to prophets, as I said to before to theologians, he mentions Julius Evola, Rene Guénon, Alexander Dugan, Martin Heidegger. So this is a this is a learned essay bringing in ideas from a broad range of traditionalist type thinkers. So linking at the end of his essay, this view that Trump is the West's uh, Hail Mary pass on one hand, that that requires an invocation of the God that is both transcendent and imminent and works through the nation, And Heidegger's statement that only a God can save us raises this philosophical, political, philosophical possibility rejected by Heidegger in his time that America could be the home of a new beginning of the West, a rebirth of the West. And this new beginning would be informed, like the first beginning of the West, by the relationship between philosophy poetry, and national identity, or between philosophy, poetry, and the nation. Now, in what's surely a matter of rhetorical excess here, uh, the essay ends on the thought that Heidegger, hearing Trump's Poland speech in defense of the West, might have proclaimed only Trump can still save the West. You see, not only a God can save us now, but only Trump can still save the West. So even though some of this might seem a little bit outrageous, there's a nexus of concepts and ideas here that may be significant. Which I'll summarize in a moment. 
Another key idea from the paper then is that you have not just politics, geopolitics, decision-making, who, who's voted in and who's voted out, what sort of um, issues of the day they're fighting over. Are we going to build a pipeline or not going to build a pipeline? Are we going to cut this tax or raise this other tax? All of that, the domain of politics, is important. But alongside politics, he writes, in the normal sense of state decision-making and everything it entails, there's a growing sense of the existence and importance of metapolitics, the set of ideas, culture, philosophy, history, and symbols operating at both the rational and emotional levels of consciousness. Not just your everyday decision-making, but the domain of identity, symbolic identity, philosophy, culture, history, and the meaning that we give those things. What is the meaning of history for this or another group of politically relevant actors? So Trump in the West is an argument for Trump's potential salvation of the West. But we have to therefore disambiguate, like the author does, a few, no a few different Wests to know what he's talking about. It's not liberal, democratic capitalism of the Cold War. He's not talking about that West. But rather, as I've said, the West of philosophy, poetry, faith, statesmanship, and the whole symbolic heritage of the Western nations, of the Western people. The defense of the West in this sense is a rejection of the postmodern West, of the deconstruction of the meaning of concepts, of the totalitarianism of political correctness, of the imposition of new orthodoxies and the censorship of intellectual inquiry. It's a multipolar, many civilizational vision. And it's a strange philosophically Heideggerian combination of God or gods and nation or nations. And this intersection of philosophy, nation, God, and salvation has a metapolitical and theopolitical dimension that far exceeds the importance of mere politics and mere geopolitics. And even though this essay, which is important not only on its own terms, but also because it's very unusual to have a foreign minister who writes about Evola, Guanon, Plato, Aristotle, Heidegger, and Dugan, um, this essay, which covers these topics relatively briefly, weaving the theme of Trump's defense of the West out of these various elements. Um, the thesis of this deep relationship between God, philosophy, and the political is a crucial part of what we need to think through today when we deal with the crisis of liberalism, the crisis of the West, and the reorganization of a new world order on the basis of a new meta-political system of coordinates. Well, a couple of other notes here. That's it for the PowerPoint, but a couple of other words. So nations, nations for um, Arujo are based on inspiring works of art that honor God, on innovation, the celebration of heroes, traditions, and ancient customs, 
the rule of law, freedom of expression, empowerment of women, family at the center of life, not government and bureaucracy, the habit of debating and challenging and seeking to know, incompatible with the imposition of an orthodoxy and the prosecuting of thought crimes, and above all, the dignity of every human life, the hope of every soul to live in freedom. Now, the opposite of that is postmodern West, which is, for the author, post-historical, denies heroes, rejects the family, and scorns faith. By speaking about the soul as he does in his Poland speech, Trump frontally challenges postmodern man who has no soul. So you see the conflict between Cold War West, the symbolic West, and the postmodern West is really at the heart of this essay. Now, there's an interesting reflection about whether or not Trump's words are fascistic. Like, if you're going to talk about nation, family, and heritage, oh, you must be a fascist, you must be a white nationalist, a racist, colonialist, and all the rest of it. Things you're very, very familiar with. So he addresses this, uh, this criticism in the following way. To many, he says, commenting on Trump's remarks about nation, soul, and God, heroes, and all the rest of it, those remarks of Trump's might, at the very least, come across as displaying bad taste. But to others, they will seem steeped in fascism. Yes, we live in a world in which talk of heroes, ancestors, the soul and the nation, the family and God, is, for much of the dominant ideology, an indication of fascist behavior. But is the problem really with Trump? Or might it be with that ideology against which he rails? Stalin's, Mao Zedong's, and Pol Pot's henchmen called everything fascist too. Having a book was fascist. Loving one's parents or children was fascist. Venerating traditional symbols was fascist. Anything that could remotely stand up to the central power of the state was fascist and sent citizens to the gulag, a re-education camp, or a mass grave. It, um, our postmodern liberal ideology embodied that kind of response. It no longer punishes expressions of fascism, like reading books and loving your parents and your children, um, with internment in gulags or summary executions, but with ridicule, ostracism, public shaming, with summary execution of people's political character, if not their physical person. Although, he adds parenthetically, the extremely physical aggression by anti-fascist black brigades in the USA against anyone supporting Trump are already spreading viciously across the country. And you can see video evidence of that in uh, Bannon's video about Trump. Bannon's recent documentary film about Trump starts with five minutes of video footage of these black brigade anti-Trump uh, battalions or groups. Trump urges us to re-examine the assumptions underlying this ideology, this postmodern liberal ideology, which we treat as gospel, as the only decent way to think. The fight for the West takes place in our minds, in our wills, and in our souls. Yeah. So, 
pretty fascinating essay. It's not about destroying external enemies. It's about destroying the enemy within, not in the sense of the fifth column of um, liberalizing Jewish importers of open borders ideology, although, of course, some people think that too, but rather it's the battle of ideas. Are we going to let the deconstructive notion of identity prevail? Are we going to let the politically correct notion of identity prevail? Or are we going to fight like it matters in a sort of um, national, as he puts it, Jungian psychosocial purging um, of our blockages and obstacles and allow our deep symbolic consciousness to reemerge in a way that matters for us, that connects us to country, to family, and to God uh, once more. And the invocation of Heidegger is so important because it tells you that it's not just going to be merely, merely a superficial and external repetition of patterns from the past. It's going to be a reconnection to the sources, original sources of inspiration for a new beginning of the West. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you found most of those claims to be, um, with many of you found most of those claims to be outrageous. How can you see Trump as a savior of the West? How can you see Trump as a defender of country, of a God, of family? Isn't he just some sort of lying Russian operative businessman who cheats on his wives when they're pregnant with hookers and settles out of court on you know illegal uh silencing of their side of the story and things like that well i invite you to read this essay to read it carefully and to ponder the significance of these uh claims and distinctions because there's certainly more to them than meets the eye and there's more to them than we would see if we just dismissed it with uh what do they say bad orange man uh approach to trump 